I would like to acknowledge that the Teach Reach podcast is operating on the unceded traditional territories of the Matsky, Kwantlen, Ketsi, and Semihamu First Nations. Growing up on ancestral territory of the Taino people, and now as an uninvited guest on Turtle Island, I recognize the immense impact that the land has had on me. The land has taught me respect, reciprocity, reverence, humility, and responsibility. Through indigenous knowledges, I learned that the land carries stories, histories, medicine, and gifts that enable us to reflect and connect with ourselves and our communities. As a stories-focused podcast, I understand the value of investigating place and space to grapple with real-world issues. I seek to support the ways that indigenous peoples are using to protect their land and communities. It is my intention to continue learning how to properly honor and care for the place where I live. Welcome to Teach Reach, a podcast to explore human connections through shared stories. Stories are what we store in the vault of our heart. Through them, we are exposed to a variety of voices to understand the narratives that shape our communities. We are all stories, those we know, those we live through, those we fabricate, and those we wish to deconstruct. However, we are not always at the center of those stories. We teach, you reach. Brittany is a workplace wellness consultant. Um, she works a lot with the corporate world. Um, she has a company that's called Mindfully Being Well. She's the founder and community manager at Mindfully Being Well. Um, Mindfully Being Well provides virtual meditation. It's a virtual meditation and wellness studio that offers weekly meditation and mindful movement classes that you can do in the comfort of your home or at your office. And she offers like customized in-person wellness workshops for, for the workplace. Um, one thing that strikes me from Brittany's conversation is how we can incorporate mindfulness and meditation in our daily lives. Um, there's a term that she used during the conversation that she mentioned herself. She called herself as a recovering perfectionist. And I really, really love that term because I think we can all, you know, it can all resonate with us that are trying to to thrive for, you know, excellence and perfection, especially in our line of work. Overall, a, an amazing conversation. She also guide uh, guides us to through a mini meditation. So if you are driving or if you are, um, you know, manipulating uh, a machine, um, please be careful um, not to do that practice while you're doing that. So maybe that's something that you can do in the comfort of your home or or sitting on a chair or, or, or couch or whatnot. Um, but please do not drive and, and meditate and, and close your eyes and, and stuff like that. So um, I'm really thrilled to have her. Um, overall, a great conversation. So enjoy the ride. There's an artist I love <laughs> who said, who said the best stories are the one that we don't write, right? Mm -hmm. And the best mm -hmm. conversations are probably the one that we don't record. Um, mm -hmm. And and I'm kind mm -hmm. of a archivist at heart. So I've recently started to, um, when I meet with my mom and my family, the elders in my family, I start recording stuff, just like voice memo, um, just so I have something that stays 
um, because there's it's often when we are not recording that some beautiful things that we learn happen. Like the most thing that I've learned in my life come from my grandmother. I didn't have a voice mm. memo when I was growing up with my grandmother, but um, so yeah. So the idea is really you know to to share with people um, to to present what other people are doing and realize there's some people that are doing some good decent stuff and, and even if it's mm-hmm. not about quantifying what other people are doing but it's just to be aware that oh some people are doing those type of work right mm-hmm. so so that's 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 the that's the goal and, and i'm really really glad mm-hmm. and happy and honored um to have you spending spending a little bit of time time with me and and with uh, with the audience mm-hmm. so so welcome thank you very much for for being here thank you again for yeah for inviting me to have this conversation um yeah, I wonder as you're saying that, like, I'd love to know from you what has been your experience with mindfulness or meditation? Is that oh something you've kind of dove into before? I, I have. I have. Um, I've always been very interested in uh, the, the, the first contact that I had with mindfulness was probably through kind of like a spiritual journey or spiritual process, understanding that. You know, I've never shied away from a deep spiritual connection. I grew up in a family that is um, religious in some way. Uh, um, on my mom's side, they are Catholic. On my dad's side, they are more pro- Protestant. Um, but it's, it's there's always been, you know, the the idea of going to church and the doing the idea mm-hmm. of like, you know, taking some time, some refuge. I was talking about my grandmother. My grandmother is the one that taught me how to pray. Um, mm. I, I used to sit down and pray with her. So there was always like my my uh, tapping into that side of re- putting yourself in a corner at one point and connecting with something that is uh, um, or to have sometimes for you. And then through that religious lens to connect with something that's bigger than you. So that's kind of like been my first initial experience. And then yeah. over mm-hmm. time, you kind of like, you know, grew up seeing that it doesn't have to be religious uh, um, or or it doesn't have to be something that follows a certain precepts, like certain rituals. It can be, um, you know, journaling. I journal a lot. I journal every morning um, for 15, 20 minutes. Um, I write a lot naturally, but I, I journal a lot and it started to become something that, you know, it's a conversation between myself and myself. And, and I can mm-hmm. put down some some thoughts. So that's how I that's how been my my experience with mindfulness. Um, I, I would like to share more, but I, I want to also center you. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 how how yeah. long you've been on that mindfulness journey yourself? Um, yeah. Brittany. Well, I really appreciate you sharing kind of that context for you because as you're saying, like there's these experiences that we have as we grow up that are kind of woven into mindfulness we begin to learn mindfulness from a very young age like if you can think back to your youngest when they're first discovering the world there's a childlike curiosity that we all innately have and that curiosity is really centered in pure flow in some cases um and uh interest right um and so there's this innate capacity for us all i think to have uh connection with the present moment 
uh, and it's through maybe exposure to other social context and distractions and technology and social media and work-life balance that doesn't really exist that we come detached from what we innately already have the capacity to do. Um, so much like you, um, when I was growing up, I, I grew up, well, we grew up in different places, obviously, but um, um, I grew up in a rural community in uh, northern BC, or what's colon colonially known as BC. Um, and um, we were really kind of immersed in my father's heritage, um, which um, his family is originally of Mennonite descent. Uh, they had immigrated from uh, what was then Prussia, like 1700 years uh, 1700 um and uh yeah they they're they're very ceremonial in some ways um but there was uh christianity um was the religion that was followed and we would go to church and as you're saying there's these kind of like sacred rituals that do take place within church there's a certain kind of spiritual agenda in some way that takes place and so i think from a very young age i also kind of experienced that sense of ritual of what was going to come next and um, prayer, as you had mentioned, is also in lots of different cultures, lots of different lineages, a contemplative practice that, again, mm -hmm. is, is mindfulness. It can be a meditative practice. So I, I too, had that experience. Um, when I was growing up, I was also um, really um, part of the performing arts community. Um, I was in musical theater and band and also sang. And um, so again there was these beautiful opportunities to experience what it's like to be part of a collective when you're moving with a group of people or when you're singing with a group of people when you're performing mm. with a group of people that you're not alone um and again there's this uh, state of flow that can be achieved um you know and, and maybe this is something that you've experienced as well when you're teaching and you know that you're just on some real good vibe and you're you know really passionate and feeling good about what you're sharing like that too is in the essence of being mindful certainly uh -huh. not being mindless um mm. so i think that was kind of my my first experience and and beginnings of 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 the practice um I started to more kind of formally get into it about 10 years ago. I had done like the physical practice of yoga and, you know, had attended a few retreats through performance, uh, performing kind of camps um, that would have Pilates or yoga or whatever. Um, and um, yeah, it was about 10 years ago when I first kind of experienced i think what i mentioned in my bio is like workplace burnout which is unfortunately this thing that's become an all too common phenomenon for us all um even the the world health organization has cited that this is a phenomenon that mm. we're experiencing collectively um mm -hmm. and so at that point i was you know i'm a people pleaser i'm a recovering perfectionist uh, <laughs> and that kind of links back to to performance right because anytime i'd be performing i'd be adjudicated i'd be getting a grade um, sometimes mm. i'd be praised for my academics so again there's this sense of striving that was also internally motivated but then there was also that sense of external motivation that that then, yeah, caused that sense of striving, I think, for me personally. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, that's when I started to just randomly, actually, thanks to social media on Instagram, there was somebody that I followed that um, they were offering a meditation teacher training and they had somebody drop out. There was one place left. I was on the couch taking a mental health day. Um, I had texted my partner at the time and said, look, 
there's this opportunity for me to do this training. I don't know what it means. I don't know how this is applicable to, you know, our life or my life, but I'm, I'm really feeling called to do it. Um, and fortunately he was supportive. And so, yeah, I took the training and that became uh, a beautiful opportunity to kind of begin my unraveling. Um, mm. and in essence, a, a way to kind of rebuild as well. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. wow. so that's when that's I started to kind of like more formally practice. Yeah. yeah yeah it's it's interesting um there's a little thread that i would like to pull from what from what you said i've i love mm -hmm. the phrase well, love is a big word but it, it i love the phrase recovering perfectionist it's kind mm. of like it, it's it's kind of like a healing at least or, or in the recovery world admitting that we are what we are right so so mm -hmm. for 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 people that are you know recovering alcoholics they have to admit that i am this so there's kind of like an ownership first of okay i admit that i was perfectionist and now i'm working mm -hmm. on accepting you know there's an acceptance practice so now it it must be how do you go about that healing process yeah, you get into mindfulness, but how do you go about <laughs> that healing process to recognize that, you know, I'm a recovering perfectionist? What are the things that <laughs> has to be deconstructed in order to advance into that journey? Yeah, wow, that's a, a good and loaded question, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think um, part of it has to do with an over-identification with what we produce. Mm -hmm. um, that there's somehow a dollar sign equated for our time. And um, so for me, what it's been is mindfulness has allowed me, instead of believing I am my thoughts um, or uh, you know, really buying into the narrative that's really an indoctrination of society, of my family of origin, um, instead of buying into that narrative of who I think I am based on, you know, the self-critic, the self-judgment, um, what I'm worthy of, valued of, valued by, um, I, I can separate from that. Not always, but it's a practice mm. of separating yeah. from that to, um, yeah, see that they're just thoughts. Um, and... In, and that's kind of where self-compassion has also been a really powerful tool to invite to to the mindfulness party. And I hope we can talk a little bit more about that too. Of, of course, of course. Uh, would you mind elaborating yeah. what what self-compassion what self-compassion is? The, the words are very, you know, self-explanatory. But what can what what does it entails to kind of like go into a practice of self self-compassion? Something that that you're yeah. you're involved in. So, so self-compassion, I think, is is a practice that has been around for thousands and thousands of years. Um, but there's um, um, a professor, Dr. Kristen Neff, who uh, is kind of like the westernized, uh, you know, researcher who wanted to try to find a way to empirically study an Eastern philosophy that's deeply rooted in, in mindfulness and meditation. And um, so what she did is kind of separate and try to identify three pillars of, of self-compassion. And what she noted was that one of them is the idea of um, trying to embody or to practice self-kindness in the face of self-judgment 
Um, mm. Another is trying to notice common humanity uh, in the face of isolation um, or in, in contrast to isolation. And then the last piece is really about um, um, separating ourselves from, from um, as I was mentioning before, like the thoughts and beliefs that we think we are. Um, instead, there's a, an opportunity to kind of separate ourselves from that over-identification. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Wow. So there's this kind of like, you know, a, a process to follow I love the idea of, you know, in front of self-judgment to present an alternative, right? Because mm, yeah. often in yeah. our in our Western world, there's always a idea of do not do that, period, and then just move on instead <laughs> of, you know, replacing that that thought or that process with something else. So it's kind of like a relearning. Yeah relearning process as well yeah and and self-judgment in a lot of ways is a way to protect ourselves right probably mm. somewhere along the way if we're somebody who has that really loud inner voice that judges and criticizes then somewhere along the way we likely were judged and criticized and so in in a effort to try to protect ourselves to protect our our softest most vulnerable parts we put up walls and try to find ways to you know judge ourselves before other people have the opportunity to and in our society that also feeds into of course like capitalism and consumerism because the more defective that we feel the more likely we're going to buy into the if then statements that were sold right if i buy this then i'll then i'll be worthy if mm. i do this then i'll fit in if i you know achieve this amount of money then i'll be happy um and so instead this self-kindness idea is instead of self-flagellating, um, you know, instead of beating myself down before others have the opportunity, what if instead I offer myself the sense of self-kindness that I actually truly need to support myself through the process of moving through emotions, of moving through hardships? And what if instead of thinking that I am the only one in the entire world that is defective and having these feelings that I remember, oh my gosh, because I'm having these feelings, it's proof that I am human and that I am part of a larger, broader humanity. And it's not abnormal for me to feel this way at all. And then mm. finally, this idea of like, while I'm having these thoughts, like whose thoughts are these really? Do these thoughts really belong to me? Or is it patriarchy? Is it racism? Is it sexism? Like where are these thoughts and beliefs coming from? And do I need to identify with them? Mm. Wow, that that's a that's a, obviously it's not something that can be. It, it seems that it's a big process because it's kind of like in, in your answer mm -hmm. there were like different stages of observation. So it, mm -hmm. it requires, in my mind, I see it requires kind of like consistency and persistence. But how do we feel? Mm -hmm that consistency and that persistence to get to the point of the last question that you had of like, which voice it is really? Is it my voice that is judging me or is it? So in order uh -huh. to get to that point, how how does one get to that point? What would be kind of like some processes or modalities that we follow in order to get to the point of asking ourselves the question, is yeah. it me or is it which script it is, right? 
yet which script, which story am I telling myself? And what story am I privileging in this moment? Is this a story that really supports my well-being or is this a story that takes me down? Mm-hmm. Um, to your question, I don't know that it's linear. Unfortunately, there isn't like a silver bullet. <laughs> and with these three pillars, they're really, it's more like a, a Venn diagram, you know, where they mm-hmm. all kind of overlap in the middle is, is where you see that this is the, the description. This is how we break down how to define mm-hmm. what self-compassion is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think really what it is, what it comes down to is the practice, just like with meditation, like, it can be really difficult for folks to start meditating, um, you know, especially if you're somebody who tells yourself the story that I have a really busy mind. My mind's always go, 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 go. Um, and and I'll also add, like, maybe seated meditation isn't for everybody. There's different ways, mm. as we've just kind of discussed in the beginning part of our conversation here. Like, mm-hmm. there's different ways for us to connect with that sense of spirituality or that sense of, of mindful orientation. It doesn't mm. have to be seated meditation. Um, but it is a practice and each time that we practice we're rewiring our brains at a neurological level like the neurobiology Uh of our brain is changing each time we do something that's a little bit different Uh each time that we decide to break a pattern in a in a gentle way that's that's beautiful it's interesting because myself even being exposed to certain to the idea of mindfulness the first image that comes to mind whenever I hear meditation of mindfulness, I think of a of a calm, recluse space where there's no movement, where everything is kind of like still and and you know, it's kind of a of a stock image of someone that is just recluse from everything and then it's sitting mm-hmm. down and it's quiet, which is something that works for me, but you kind of like enlightened me a little bit here to see that it's not for it's not for ev- for everybody, right? So, what would be different kind of of mindfulness practices that could suit, mm-hmm. you know, other people than the kind that I fit in, which is like a little yeah. bit more sitting down, yeah. Yeah, which is a beautiful thing too, right? Like making it work for you. Um, I also think I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that there's also privilege in time of being able to actually carve out a space in your mm. in your home or wherever you might be to sit and and practice. Um, which I also I also have the privilege of every now and again between you know chasing after my son. Um, <laughs> but I think I think. Where I might like to go, if it's okay to take a little bit of a segue before we dive into those different kinds of practices, and maybe maybe it overlaps, um, is the notion that like a lot of the time that we're spending is um, either on autopilot or in a state where we're thinking about the past or we're thinking about the future. Mm. Does that make sense? That that makes sense. So. Yes, yes, but elaborate a little bit in terms of, you know, that autopilot, you know, why would we be on autopilot? What what would be the the, the thing that pushes us to be on autopilot? Yeah. Well, I think in some ways it's when we're we're outside of um outside of our resourcing. Um, sometimes it can be another protective or default mechanism that we fall into when we don't have the support, whether it's, you know, physical, emotional, social, psychological support that we need 
sometimes, mm-hmm. especially in our, you know, like super distracted culture where like your phone's always, your phone's closer to you than your loved one is, um, you know, that, that it facilitates a way of kind of um, detaching from the present moment. Uh-huh. In the uh-huh. present moment, especially you know during the pandemic, we we lost a large sense of control that we had over our time, how we spent it, um, what we were able to do, what we weren't able to do. So it kind of makes sense that we then divert our energy and effort into trying to control the things that we can, even yes. if that means avoiding the present moment, uh-huh. uh, avoiding the pain and suffering of the present moment, avoiding the fear and the anxiety of the present moment. Um, so, so part of it, part of autopilot, I think part of like our scrolling um, has to do with that as a coping mechanism. And then the other aspect of it is our brains are kind of hardwired in some ways to go into autopilot. Um, mm. You know, as you, you learn to write, suddenly you become a maestro as you're writing because your brain has adapted in certain ways to be able to automatically do those things, like automatically play the piano, automatically drive the car. And so there's some experiences that we have that are just kind of mundane. Maybe we do them over and over again, that our brain kind of goes into like a super efficiency mode in some ways. So if we're not mindful, we can really mindlessly get done what we need to get done. Um, Another thing that I kind of think about is like, when you wake up in the morning and you're brushing your teeth, are you alone? <laughs> are you tasting the toothpaste? Are you noticing the sensation of the toothbrush on your teeth? Or are oh. you having conversations or thinking about your dreams, thinking about what's mm. coming up in the day? Similarly, when you're in the shower, you know, are you, are you by yourself? Are you talking to somebody else, you know? Um, so so there's these times where, where yeah, we're, we're not present for the moment. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. feel like we never have enough time, uh, and mm. yet a lot of the time we do have is spent either in the past or the future. Mm-hmm. So, wow. yeah, I went on a bit of a tangent there. No, 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 not at all, not at all. Those are, <laughs> I, I was thinking, I was thinking of your your questions about you know when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, are you are you thinking about what are you thinking about? And those are daunting questions because there's a the being in the past and the future escaping that present moment sometimes as you mentioned it's a it's a coping mechanism because because our present and, and because also that you know through the different system that you mentioned uh, um the privilege that one can have to stay in the present moment or to carve out a present moment that is free of any worry in a way it's a privilege mm-hmm. that a lot of people do not have so in order to in order to you know escape like while they're brushing their teeth is probably the only moment that they can escape that crazy reality that they live in whether it's a it's a um you know a, a physical like insecurity that they have they, they'd rather find that moment to escape so at any moment that they can escape they mm-hmm. escape but those are daunting questions because you know y- you might feel one might feel so pressed in their present that they feel they can no longer you know live in there so they have to live somewhere somewhere else mm-hmm. um so so and as you mentioned it's a it's a practice it's something that we that we try to to do and and I was thinking also on like brushing your teeth or doing something and being in the being in the present. 
you are a parent, how do you carve out that little time, <laughs> right? Where do you find, how do you reconcile being a parent with a mindfulness practice? Is that something that's mm -hmm. possible, right? How do we reconcile yeah. those things? Yeah, it's such a good question. Yeah, and I think it's something again that I'm I'm practicing. Um, <laughs> but I I hope because uh, you know as we're saying like it can seem daunting and um, it can feel hopeless. Um, and and I want to say that you know there really is hope for us all. Um, and that hope, uh, the antidote, as it were, is really being in the present moment. So finding our way back to the present moment. Um, and and that that explicitly means maybe utilizing our senses like our taste our sense of sight our sense of hearing what's around us our sense of touch um, using our senses as one way if it's safe for us to do so um, sometimes when people have experienced different traumas those certain senses might also um, feel unsafe so finding within ourselves ways to come back to the body some people use the breath as a way to do that some mm. people use physical movement practices um uh yeah all of these different ways to come back um come back to mm -hmm. to the present moment which is where then part of the suffering of the past and the future can be actually maybe maybe momentarily alleviated and mm -hmm. maybe just maybe that will also give us the opportunity to come back into what we sometimes refer to as our window of tolerance which is kind of that place where we feel grounded and centered and capable and calm and that we have that sense of creativity um kind of really connects us all like to those those core elements that we're all innately kind of capable of Mm -hmm. I, I, I am. Yeah. <laughs> no, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say as a parent, um, I'm trying to find those times. Um, I notice when I'm trying to push my own agenda with my child, um, that causes conflict and suffering. <laughs> if I want to try to do all my housework while he's wanting a snack, that's, you know, um, so <laughs> it's a beautiful invitation. If nothing else, it's like a fire alarm in some ways to say, like, I'm not paying attention to what presently needs my attention um, and then it's engaging with him in a way um, you know whether that's being curious about what his need is or being curious about how he's looking at the world or um, you know sitting and reading a book together and noticing what it feels like with him sitting on my lap really taking a moment to breathe in and notice that sense of connection when I feel like we're cuddled together or hugging for example yeah mm -hmm. I I am a I am a uh, I write sometimes some poetry and I could not help but notice in the the language that you use there's a lot of like c word like the the like the connection <laughs> the curiosity the cuddle the courage is that mm. is that something that's on purpose is that something that you cultivated <laughs> again another c word right and then the opposition yeah. of that the, the conflict like how is that is there oh, something yeah. language based in there that i'm curious yeah i think uh that's a really good question and like good that you picked up on those patterns because it is intentional um mm. certainly in the kind of philosophical uh, philosophical philosophical i'm gonna create <laughs> new words <laughs> in my theoretical orientation as it were within my my own practices um there are certain um um 
elements, uh, constructs that are really important. And one of them is encouragement. Mm. Um, and that oftentimes, um, again, encouragement can be, I think, a superpower that we can give each other. Because uh, oftentimes when we're discouraged, that, that leads to us kind of alienating, isolating, judging ourselves, kind of all of the opposite things within the model of self-compassion, right? When we're feeling discouraged, those are really the times where, um, you know, we're judging ourselves, we're over-identifying with, you know, thoughts, we're, you know, really believing that we are the only one in the world experiencing the thing that we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other in influence, I suppose, is, is another theoretical orientation um, that um, is called internal family systems. And um, within that theory, there's this idea that we all have these different parts, but um, at the heart and every part is, is, is serving a purpose. Every part has really good intentions, but sometimes they're like a strength overdone. Um, sometimes even our judgmental and, and critical parts um, are, are, are part of that, that framework. And um, while they don't always serve us, they're, they're trying to do something good. So um, we try to acknowledge what, what good they're trying to do. Um, but, but deeper than that, there is still this true self, this true essence of self. And, and the C words that you picked up on are part of that, that true essence of self uh, within that model. There are there key c words would you would you mind giving us like I, i've listed a couple that i've heard but are there like kind of like a set base of c words that we want that is part of the inter internal family system uh um modalities that yeah we yeah we're digressing a little bit into uh away well i guess mindfulness actually is still a big component in internal family systems as well um but mm -hmm. that there are actually eight uh, eight C words. Okay. Um, so they include, let's see here, <laughs> confidence, yeah. calmness, creativity, clarity, curiosity, courage, compassion, and connectedness. Wow. Wow. That's that's uh, unbelievable, and it's it's. I don't know why. What in what you said about internal family system, the idea of, you know, having different parts that serve a purpose. Maybe I should just write a poem with all those beautiful words that I've heard from you here. But those different parts that serve a purpose, um, it it is. It seems that it feeds really well into that self compassion, because we understand that you know those parts that serve a purpose are are there for a purpose they are not like defects they are not they are in response to our mm. to our world right and 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 in your bio you, you you mentioned that you know you were like you were trying to heal from like workplace burnout and and through maladaptive coping strategies w would you mind is there a link between those maladaptive coping strategies and those parts that serve a purpose that kind of like went like too far, I would say. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. I think, um, for me trying to people please, um, was a big, like I was just trying so, so hard to be of value 
and to prove my worth um, by being essentially kind of like a workaholic in some ways. Um, mm -hmm. Even though I'm not like the six-figure executive that's the workaholic, <laughs> like you can be barely scraping by and still be a workaholic, you know, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so, so for me, it was like, yeah, if I just stay later, if I just do all the things, then I will somehow prove and show that I am worthy and that my ideas are good and that, um, you know, I suppose that was part of it. And then getting home, uh, again, feeling that sense of maybe not being able to control my day so much. I would spend a lot of time watching Netflix, uh, you know, stay up way too late, be under-rested, wake up in the morning, feel kind of a sense of scarcity right off the bat. Um, so waking up first thing in the morning thinking, gosh, I didn't get enough sleep. Oh man, this is going to be a terrible day. Um, instead of connecting with the sense of what it feels like to wake up in my bed. Wow, this is a comfortable bed and I'm resting my head on my pillow and I feel the weight of the duvet on top of me um, from a place of, of gratitude, from a place of abundance. Um, so other maladaptive strategies well there was a lot like i think i bought into like the wine time culture you know mm. um the work hard play hard idea of mm -hmm. of, of work-life balance which it doesn't doesn't exist <laughs> in my mind um so there was yeah lots of ways lots of ways that i wasn't honoring myself and and, and most importantly i think it, not honoring my my boundaries boundaries with my time, boundaries of how I will and won't be treated, um, boundaries with myself and how much I take on from others, um, mm. to name a few. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, um, you know, when, when you mentioned, when you were talking about, you know, rest, right. And the idea of resting, the idea of sleep, um, mm. how does in your, your clinical counselor, um, um, you, you probably encounter a lot of people with different life circumstances. How does in your practice or in your experience, how does sleep or rest affects the, the, the way that we, that we, you know, move in the world, right? How does that, yeah. how essential is sleep or rest? Yeah, that's such a good, I mean, I mean, it's a pillar, um, in my idea, I mean, sleep movement food <laughs> and like our nutrition these are really key components of our well-being and it's really interesting actually in my undergrad i spent some time um, studying under a fellow who studied circadian rhythms uh, and it's really interesting looking in the sleep research because there's so much that we still don't know about sleep there's this idea and understanding that when our tired our bodies get tired enough we need to sleep so there's some balance there um, there is some notion that um, you know when we're sleeping that's when the body maybe repairs itself right maybe we tap into part of our nervous system that kind of allows the body to get into a restorative kind of process um, there's some theory that says that when we're sleeping, um, the neurons of our brain separate just a little bit and there's kind of like a cleaning crew that comes through and clean the debris mm -hmm. between the neurons. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there's so many different things that really just show how how important sleep is. If we don't get enough sleep, obviously you know it changes your, your state of mind. It changes the way you look at the world. 
we might be more prone to accidents. Uh, we have harder times making decisions. Um, so, so sleep really is a fundamental part. And I think it's actually been stated as like an epidemic in Canada, maybe in, oh. in North America, that wow. adults generally aren't getting enough sleep and similarly children. So mm -hmm. I did my research, um, well, I did like a, a literary review basically on the literature that existed on sleep in children, uh, adolescents, and um, the impact of not getting enough sleep because of social jet lag, because school starts too early, um, because of biological changes that are happening in their, their bodies. And I'm sure like you can speak to all of this probably way more than, than I can based on your experience. But Sleep is a fundamental aspect of our humanity, and yet it's the first thing that we're usually willing to sacrifice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it's interesting because I, I, I think a lot of sleep um, in, in one of my classroom in my afternoon um, period or block, I, I kind of like instituted a mandatory nap for my students, a 15-minute nap before the class starts. Um, it, it, it went well in terms of like I was having those students coming in at you know 150 for our last period until three but mm -hmm. we would always take 20 minutes to have them in a state where we could start to kind of like learn or explore whatever we need to explore so I was always finding myself fighting against them pretty much during those first 20 minutes until I realized they, they are super wired like like I think cortisol level is probably at its highest so so which is like you know you can't learn like that um so so i, I instituted a 20 minute nap um um with with that group and and surprisingly enough we were able to cover way more in less time after hmm. those 20 minutes and even if it wasn't really a nap like you know there are 13 14 year old teenagers they don't really nap for that time some of them would some of them would bring their little pillow and they would nap but some of them would be like just like sitting and just like staying in the dark and listening to some quiet music that i would play for them and it it kind of like put them at a level of like okay i can bring my guards down i i am a little bit more open to be receptive and that got me mm. thinking about you know everything i i do believe that a lot of things that we have in our bodies are you know kind of like things that serve us and when we are sleeping we are so vulnerable like it's like you know you are the mm. most exposed when you sleep and then yet i don't know evolution kind of like kept this for so long like you know when you're asleep you, you don't you can't defend yourself necessarily but that thing mm. remains that it's as it's like it's so important that's how i view it as important because you're so defenseless when you're sleeping yet it still serves that purpose so that purpose is so big that you know we are willing to make the sacrifice of like being defenseless while <laughs> you know because it, it's yeah. it brings a positive to us right um so so i'm i'm, I'm very passionate i had never about, thought of it that way sleep. but that that yeah Gosh. And I can't help but think too, like how lucky your students are to have somebody who is like in tune to what you are noticing in the classroom and then offer an opportunity to really give them that sense of safety mm. and mm -hmm. rest and community and a co-regulation as well that was occurring in the space. Well, well th thank you. And, and, I, and I kind of like, it's because myself too, I struggled with the idea of getting enough sleep, like last time we worked together 
um, when we were working at, at Clearly Contacts, I was doing my, my teacher training, my PDP, and I was literally functioning on two and a half hours of sleep, three hours of sleep, right, at best. And then it's like the, the first time after I finished all that crazy year that I had a good night's sleep, like a nine, 10 hours of sleep, I woke up and I'm like, I see the world differently. Like it's kind of like experience the world differently. When you are like from overtired to fully rested, you can clearly see. And then you realize, you know, whenever you're having an argument with someone, you know, that commercial mm -hmm. that, that, um, is it, is it, uh, it's not Mars, it's a Snickers commercial, right? It's like <laughs> the person that is hangry and you're like, you know, and then they give them a Snickers yeah. and you're like, you're here, you get better. And you realize in, through my journaling and my meditation, <laughs> I would think about like, why am I reacting the way that I'm reacting at specific hours of the day, right? Mm -hmm. Like why, why I don't want to talk about my day when I'm done work at exactly three or make it, maybe because I am hungry. <laughs> like, maybe because I, I just need to take some time to sit down and just eat and then realize, oh, okay, now I can be receptive. But it taps also to the to the privilege that we were talking, right? I have the privilege to mm -hmm. have a sandwich ready at three, which a lot mm -hmm. of people do not have. So it's it's kind of a it's interesting mm -hmm. to see that you know sleep and yeah. and those basic bodily functions that we need, the needs that we have, are not addressed by maybe our healthcare system or or, or whatnot, and and those are important. There's actually an acronym that I love, like every opportunity I have to share it, I like to share it because I feel like it's so impactful. Um, and it's called HALT, H-A-L-T. And it stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Mm. And essentially these, like, as you're saying, am I hangry? Am I tired? Like, when are the times where I'm really not feeling my best? And is it having to do with being hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? And if so, what is the self-soothing what is the resourcing that i can offer myself that can bring me back into that sense of connection back into that sense of well-being wow that's it. halt that's beautiful halt. and <laughs> and so it's it's hungry angry lonely tired and there's probably other things you could add to that too <laughs> but just as a bit we of could, a, a baseline yeah. yeah of course of course i, I was even thinking of like you know the idea of maybe stressed. Am I stressed? Right. So, so we could we yeah, could change your acronym yeah. to like shalt <laughs> instead of like halt <laughs> with like stress, angry. Uh, yeah. um, but that that's that's beautiful. Um, thank you for but as you're saying, for sharing that. As you're saying, stress too. This is another opportunity to maybe tease things apart a little bit more because mm -hmm. it's so common that we use the word "stressed out" as a way to indicate that we're like we're at max capacity. But stress, there's actually some really lovely uh, research from, I think her name is uh, Dr. Kelly McGonigal, who talks about how stress is actually a physiological activation in our body that can either be supportive. So there's something called eustress, which is E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, -E -S, which is when our body is really rising to support us in the challenge that's ahead of us. So that's kind of when you're thinking about maybe uh, competency meets challenge. And we're like, okay, yes, this is hard. This is going to be hard, but I've got what I need to, to do what I need to do. And then the opposite of that is distress. 
Um, maybe that's chronic acute stresses where we feel completely overwhelmed, uh, hopeless, helpless, powerless. And, and then kind of teasing that apart a little bit, we can kind of start to see what's going on. I think this differentiation, which is also made possible through the inquiry of in, inquiry of mindfulness, um, helps us to increase our self-awareness so that we can then maybe more intentionally offer ourselves what we need or make the changes that we need, even if that means setting a boundary with work, or maybe it means reaching out for help when we need it. Uh, maybe it means eating a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, yes, I, 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 I'd never... Well, you're the expert. I've never looked at at stress on that on that angle. So thank thank you. Now it also add I'm, with that. I'm I'm not an expert in anything really, <laughs> um, but I do I do hold on to some 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 knowledge that I've experienced, and um, yet whenever there's an opportunity for me to offer it back, um, mm -hmm. I think it's it's important to to use those moments. That is that is beautiful. I I, I really appreciate all the. You know the the little tidbits and the and the knowledge that you're sharing that you're sharing with us, and um in in the back we were we were talking um via email that you know you are a certified meditation guide and registered yoga teacher, and mm -hmm. you know we were for the last few minutes we've been talking about more kind of the theoretical aspect of 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 things and. And you had offered to 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 share, if you don't mind, an experiential learning um, during our talk, and and I'm I'm excited to to see if we could if we could dive into that, if we could if we could go with, you know, experiencing yeah. that that little learning, and 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 I'm I'm willing to to follow to follow the lead <laughs> on that. <laughs> Why, thank you so much for your courage. Um, and and yeah, I think um, this is a great opportunity maybe for us to explore what the practice is like. Um, and what I'd like to share, if it's okay, is something called calming breath. Um, calming breath is one of my absolute favorite practices to share because uh, there's science that suggests that when we tap into this type of breathing that I'll be introducing, we'll be tapping into the part of our nervous system that kind of helps to signal to our body that it's okay to slow down, starts to turn on some of the systems that are turned off during uh, acute or chronic stress, distress in the body. Um, so I maybe would ask just before we get started, if you were to rate kind of on a scale of one to 10, um, how kind of, how, I guess, activated are you feeling or, or I don't know, calm or grounded or like on a scale yeah. of zero to 10 is anxious. Where would you kind of find yourself right now? Um, I would say, I would say a five to six. Um, okay. I, I woke up this morning with a, with a sore neck. Um, uh. so that's been, that's been giving me like little, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm every now and then I'm thinking about, about that. Um, but in terms of, you know, mentally, I feel, I feel, yeah, I would say a, a four or five, five, six, between four and six, let's say. Yeah. Okay. 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 So we're taking a little bit of a litmus here to see right now in this moment where you're at. And then we can circle back after the practice and just kind of see if there's been any changes, any shifts and maybe not. And that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, 
So what I'm offering here is really just an offering of choice. You can do the things that I'm suggesting or not. Um, I would love for you to do something different if you're called to in the moment. Um, and uh, I'll try to give you options as we go. Okay. This practice will be maybe about five minutes or so. Is that okay? Great. I, I will, I will yeah. just before we get started, um, yeah. I would like to say, because I don't know myself, I'm, I'm sitting at a desk. I'm very, you know, very like, you know, controlled environment, but I would like to say maybe if people are, I know some people listen to this while they are driving, if they want to embark to that as well, <laughs> maybe you can park your car if you have the opportunity or, or I don't know, like if that's going to, you know, don't operate any machine while we are, you know, <laughs> we don't have insurance on that podcast. So just, just so you know, but I would like to put this out there. Be, be safe if you want to, to embark with that. Um, but myself, I'm, I'm ready whenever you are. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. In, important disclaimers. Yes. Please don't <laughs> close your eyes while driving. And yeah. Don't operate heavy machinery while your eyes are closed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we can begin just by finding a comfortable seat, whatever that might look like for you. And to begin the practice, I might invite you first to just kind of drop your awareness down to your feet. So you might begin to notice the sense of air or the texture of your socks or shoes. You might even wiggle your toes a little and perhaps notice the parts of your feet that come in contact with the floor. From your feet, you could begin to shift your awareness up, maybe the backs of your legs, maybe noticing your seat and hips, maybe even your back body. So the parts of your back body that come in contact with your chair or whatever surface you might be on at this time. There's this beautiful moment where we get to acknowledge gravity. <laughs> the invisible force that's gently drawing us, all of us, closer to the earth. And in contrast to gravity, the chair that's rising to support you. So you could notice in this moment maybe what it's like to be physically held by the chair and receive that support. From your back body, you could shift your awareness to the top of your head. Maybe extending the crown of your head up towards the ceiling just a little. Noticing how that might invite subtle shifts and changes through your spine, the length of your neck. And if it feels comfortable, if you'd like, you could explore closing your eyes. Or maybe you keep your eyes open with a soft gaze. As you bring your awareness around your eyes, you might notice what it's like to soften the muscles around your eyes. To soften the muscles between your brow, where sometimes we get that little 11, you know, when we're furrowing our foreheads there. So what might it be like to invite a little bit of softness there? Shifting your awareness maybe to your jaw, Letting your jaw become soft by parting your teeth a little, maybe parting your lips. If it makes sense, as we shift our awareness to shoulders, you might even say to yourself, lengthen. 
a soft invitation for the lengthening of your muscles around your shoulder into your neck so that your shoulders really begin to drop down and away from your ears. Maybe there's a sense of your shoulder blades gliding down your back, allowing a little more space through your front body, your chest. Yeah. And then you could begin to drop your awareness down further to your stomach. Maybe you could place a palm there if that feels okay. And just notice as you begin to breathe in how your stomach, maybe your chest begin to expand. And perhaps there's a gentle falling, a softening, a release as you breathe out. Without trying to change anything, I invite you just to notice your breath here for a few cycles. Noting that if by now your mind has begun to wander into the future or into the past or into a different body sensation, that that's normal. That too is part of this practice. So coming off of autopilot and then intentionally redirecting our attention to the breath or to whatever we might be focusing on. So for the next few moments, I'm going to invite us to explore calming breath. Calming breath is essentially equal parts inhale to exhale, and then we'll slowly begin to elongate our exhale. So wherever you are in your breath cycle, I invite you to exhale completely. And then we can begin to breathe in together for one, two, three. Exhale for three, two, one. Breathe in for one, two, three. Breathe out for three, two, one. Breathing in for one, two, three. This time exhaling for four, three, two, one. Breathing in for one, two, three. Exhaling for four, three, two, one. Breathing in for one, two, three. Exhaling for four, three, two, one. Perhaps keeping up with this counting on your own for the next two cycles. Noting that you can return to your normal breath at any time. As you're ready, you can let go of the counting if you haven't done so already, letting your breath return to its natural rhythm. Maybe just taking a pause here, a sacred pause, to notice what you notice. As if there's a sense of softness, of relaxation or grounding, or something else. Before you blink your eyes open, you might shift your awareness back down to your feet, maybe wiggling your toes. And then on your own time, you could blink your eyes open, 
perhaps letting your eyes reorient to the light in the room that you're in as we come back together. Yeah. <laughs> so what was that like for you, if you don't mind me asking and putting you on the spot? <laughs> wow, that was, uh, that was a, a little, I feel it was like a little trip. I don't know, I felt, um, I felt light and I do light. feel lighter. Um, I don't know. And, and I kind of like kept having a sense of appreciation for, for the present moment, I would say. But for some weird reason, I was really, really appreciative on the chair. I was like, oh. <laughs> like it's, I don't know. It's kind of like my mind kept on getting back on that chair that I'm sitting on. Um, and, and I do right now feel more grounded than I was when I, when we started our talk, even though I was, I right. felt that I was grounded. Um, it's, it's very, thank you very much. Um, it's, it's like, yeah. it's, um, I'm, I'm the best word that I can find is, is grateful and appreciative of you sharing that. I don't know how long it was. It felt like it was, I don't know, 30 minutes, but I don't know how long it was. And, and frankly, it's not the, it's not the purpose, but, um, it felt really, really good. So, so thank you very much for, for thank sharing. You. And that. if we go back to that that scale, where <laughs> would you say you fall now? Is it the same? Oh, or I different? I do I do definitely feel like a two. I would say like a two. A two. Okay. Like I felt. Okay. I do feel. I do feel way way better. Um, I don't know. I feel connected and more grounded than than when we started um okay. so that's uh that's beautiful um thank you very much so just a for, few for minutes that. what you can do with your breath and your mind and your body from wherever you might be um, as you're saying can be really really impactful um, yeah and I'm, I'm also just feeling so grateful again for for this opportunity i hope i didn't put my foot in my mouth too many times and uh oh, no, yeah thank no, you that for was, that was for what you do <laughs> Uh, thank you very much it's it's on um, it's it's really really um enlightening i would say um to to know to connect with those type of of system or mo modalities or, or and even to take part like physically into that right um i felt mm -hmm. i felt really really great and and i felt that we we covered so much ground it's interesting it was like a little it's it's a little voyage or little like traveling um what we explored we explored so much different like techniques and modalities and to take part of one was was really um um enlightening um you are at um mindfully being well and and i guess that's the little experimental experiential um learning that we had are those type of things that you do at mindfully being well but what what motivated you to go on that route of having yourself your kind of like your own company or your own services that you provide why what motivated yeah. that so so what i found being where i am there weren't any spaces that i could go to to connect with people who are practicing meditation and um, community obviously is really important as part of the practice as well and um 
you know, I was also thinking about accessibility. Like, it's not always possible for people to commute an hour to go to a 15, 20 minute, 30 minute class and then commute home. Or maybe somebody's a single parent, or maybe somebody has a physical disability that makes it difficult to get where they need to go. So, um, in January of 2020, I had kind of, I'd been in, in school, um, so I had, had quit my full-time job and went back to school to finish my bachelor's so that I could finish my master's. Um, and during that time, I was really feeling so grateful for all the information that I was receiving, but I felt like I wasn't really giving back. Um, you know, there was a part of me that really wanted to somehow be of service. And there was also this need that I had that wasn't being fulfilled. And so I thought, well, what the heck? <laughs> Start before you're ready. Um, one of my meditation teachers once said, plant the seeds even if you don't know what will grow. And so that was the idea, was to create an online community where people could come together. At the time, it was weekly. There was multiple sessions that I offered per week um, that we could come together and just practice, really. Um, usually, we'd meet for 30 minutes and we'd break it down into a few different practices really aimed at tapping into the nervous system, helping to alleviate a lot of the stress uh, within the body that we hold on to, um, like in our muscles, especially mm -hmm. these parts of our experience in the day that we don't always connect uh, and notice in our body. Um, and then also to practice this essence of befriending ourselves and befriending our experience. So that's really what started it. It's really evolved quite a lot over the last two years. Um, I, I started in January 2020. And then if you could imagine March 2020, wow. COVID, everything starts to close down. And so yeah. it really happened to be kind of at a, a time where more people were actually needing that sense of connection and community as well. So mm -hmm. uh, I was really grateful to have that opportunity to hold space. Um, at one point I was offering physical practices as well, the physical practice of yoga. Um, and right now it's kind of dialed back a little bit as I'm going through another transition. Um, but uh, what I am offering is uh, a monthly meditation where the community comes together. It's, it's free. Mm. Um, it's via zoom and, um, usually it's the first Sunday of every month. And the idea is, is again, taking 30 minutes for yourself to kind of let go of what you might be holding on to mentally, socially, emotionally, physically, um, and then reconnect with what's important, kind of coming back to that sense of groundedness and those eight C's that we talked about. Yes, yes. Um, and then the last part of it, if people like to stick around, there's another 15 minutes of some journaling, some prompts to think about, like, what are the qualities I want to bring into the month ahead? What are some of the ways that I'm going to really support my physical, mental, emotional well-being? Um, what I call the 3M method, which is uh, mindfulness, movement, and mental health. Um, yeah, so if, if folks are interested, everybody's so welcome to join that again it's online it's 30 to 45 minutes once a month um and then otherwise i'm always open to conversations and connection i was doing some corporate wellness as well so going to different places uh different organizations mm -hmm. um offering different practices depending on what the teams were needing at the time or doing it virtually um yeah well that's amazing wow so much um so so little things I, I i myself will enjoy listening to this conversation again um to, to kind of like 
there's still things that I'm that are still sitting in my mind. The three M, the halt, and and then the different like you know um, different C's that you that you brought up through internal internal family system. But uh, I'm I'm gonna try. I, I'm very very cognizant of of the time also, and then the time that you that you provided. So I, I am closer to wrap up. Uh, um, the question that I that I had for you is as a parent. I always like to have, you know, parents' perspective on underparenting strategies in a way. How does mindfulness, you touched a little bit on it in the beginning, but how does mindfulness informs your your parenting style, your parenting approach? How does that mm-hmm. how do you use that in your parenting? Yeah, I I, this is something that I'm still, as I mentioned, practicing and learning, but there's a few things that maybe come to mind in that um, I try not to multitask. Mm-hmm. So especially with d- devices, um, I mean, it's not always possible, but as much as possible, trying to actually spend time, quality time means not being distracted and being present with the experience of being with my little guy. Um I think what I'm learning is that there can be a real high need or experience of grasping. Like you want them to be as little as they were and as exciting as it is when they like learn new things. There's the sense of like a grasping of time as things change so quickly. And so again, using mindfulness as a way of uh, non-attachment, it allows me to instead just be really in awe of of the moments of the change and even when things are really challenging and when there's a lot of suffering like last night for example a three-hour wake up in the middle of the night for no apparent reason um that that's time to practice compassion um to remind myself when i feel like i'm not being the best parent that i can be for whatever reason um that I'm doing the best that I can with what I have in the moment and not to like over identify with my faults too much or over identify uh-huh. with my mistakes too much. Uh-huh. And then tying it back to that self-compassion piece, kind of just reminding myself and in a community with other parents, it's like, Oh yeah, man, I really messed up that thing. You know, of course there's going to be something that I do that's not <laughs> going to work well or work out right. And so there's that acceptance piece too of like, Yes. Yeah, that's normal. That's natural. That's part of this process. That's kind of what being a parent is all about in some ways is like keeping that growth mindset um, to continue forward. And I think self-awareness that's imbued in mindfulness is really the key to to, to doing that for, for me personally. Um, Beautiful. Wow. Um, what, what an incredible teacher you are. Um, and, and I, and I, I like to, you know, learn a lot from from people that i interview or people that i interact with and and i think having that little reminder in my mind of of doing the best we can with what we have it's it's a great it's the great advice that that we all people that have a chance to parent or to influence someone um um younger than them can can incorporate in their in their interaction in their lives um this is the part of of the show where we get to um to to land and i always ask my guests to prepare or like to teach and one reach and the teach is is something that inspired them over the last few weeks or something that 
you know, enlighten them the last last two weeks. And the reach is a big, it's a big no no. It's like no, I I don't like that. Um, if it's something that we would like to ask people to be better, um, it's a place to kind of like you know air some grievances that we might have <laughs> towards some <laughs> people or the society. So so the floor is yours. Um, to teach and one reach. Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah, I know that you <laughs> sent this to me ahead of time, and I was like, I gotta come up with something good. And then I feel like the perfectionism mode came, and I was like, I'm never gonna think of anything good enough. Um, so it's it's really funny because um, just before I was gonna come on with you, I was like, well, I need to ground myself. I need to practice what I preach, and so I logged into Insight Timer, which is what I often use just for the timing function. Although they have mm -hmm. a lot of really great meditations that are available if somebody's looking to get started in meditation or looking for a particular type of meditation um but the the first thing that pops up is the quote of the day and um it was from uh, young pablo and it says reminder a sign of growth is being okay with not being okay <laughs> mm. a sign of growth is being okay with not being okay and I just feel like that really tied back to the idea that we're talking about here in, in terms of self-compassion. Sometimes we try to push things away that we feel are not welcome for maybe our, our you know, the, our conditioning that we had as children. Maybe it's societal impressions that we have that some things are welcome, some things are not. The things that are not welcome, I need to push down, shove away, I need to disguise them, I need to hide them. And, and so instead, this quote just kind of really reminded me that those are the parts that need light shine on them the most. Yes. And um, it's through that sense of self-compassion that we can actually uh, not be imprisoned by the things that otherwise would, would keep us locked up. Wow, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And, and what about your reach? Is there a reach there or go ahead? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess <laughs> um, I'm somebody who likes to see things from different sides um, mm -hmm. and be curious. Um, I like to put myself in other people's shoes, and that's kind of part of the profession that I'm in as well. It's really trying to understand the phenomenological experience that we all each individually have had that have shaped our views of ourselves, of others in the world. Um, and with that being said, there is some times where maybe because of fear, maybe because of pain and hurt that we can become so absolute and locked into to, to what we believe is true. Um, but more and more we're learning about perception is like, no, our brains prime us to see the things that we're kind of expecting and anticipating to see. There's a beautiful quote by Wayne Dyer who says, um, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And so I think that's a really important reminder, especially in the context of like polarization that's happening. In some cases, I feel like, yes, it should be polarized. Like obviously there's such a disconnect in, in compassion and what's happening and in fairness and injustice. And um, there's there's people in the world like uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, who is a Vietnamese Buddhist monk. He actually passed away this year. Um, mm. While the Vietnamese war was happening, while Americans were coming and uh, into his country and, and people, children were starving and, and the war was happening, he traveled to America because uh, he wanted to meet, meet people and try to engage from a human level, heart to heart, 
about mm-hmm. the challenges that his people were experiencing. That couldn't have been possible if he was like, absolutely not. What they're doing is absolutely wrong. Um, and so in that, I suppose, is this wisdom that you can't change people's minds, but maybe you can change people's hearts uh, when, we, mm. when we open each other, we're open to each other. That's amazing. Wow. What a, what a beautiful message to, to, to close our conversation. It's kind of like, you know, a little nugget that you, that you leave people with. Um, thank you very much for sharing that. And for, you know, even though it, it seems to, to have like, you know, <laughs> been a little bit stressful with the teach and the reach. I know that's the part that often guests find um, stressful. Um, but I, I'm glad that you shared that. And thank you very much for, for that beautiful, those beautiful lessons. Um, before we, before we wrap up, if people are interested in what you do, um, where can they find you, uh, um, and, and, you know, continue to follow what, what you do or, or, or reach out if, if they, if they wish to. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, folks are so welcome to um, look me up at mindfullybeingwell.com. Um, it's all together, no spaces. Um, that's the website or on Instagram at uh, mindfullybeingwell or on Facebook. Um, yeah, welcome to connect, to join the monthly meditations if you so choose, if you're interested or if you have any other questions, if I can be of help in any way, then um, yeah, please, I hope folks will feel free to reach out. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you very much, Brittany, for this wonderful and marvelous conversation, for guiding us to a little, a little practice, <laughs> guiding me right now, and 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 hopefully the people that have that that are listening to the podcast, um, that they felt you know as energized and as I feel I feel recharged by having that conversation with you. So thank you very much for for all you share and for your knowledge. Thank you for listening to the Teach Reach podcast. This podcast is produced by Dr. Lemstein Productions, mixing and editing by Ian Lam. If you are enjoying this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give us a review on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at teachreach underscore podcast. For our regular listeners, we truly appreciate your support. Thank you. You can find more information about our podcast at teachreach.podbean.com. Until next time, Kembe Lapalagi, hang in there, don't give up.